0: my name is David Orban and I am very glad to have all of you following the show before we start I want to remind you that even if we are live you can always watch past episodes both on Facebook and on YouTube on YouTube you can also subscribe to the channel we also have a discord community and I invite you to join on davidorban.com discord And finally, if you find the show valuable, as well as the other content that I produce and the knowledge that I share together with my team, you're welcome to become a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash David Orban. Today's episode is India, tech, and the caste system. India went through a rapid modernization in the past decades, achieving improving levels of human development and application of technology to many areas of life and business. Do the roots of Indian society, such as the case system, have a place in modern India? How can cultures as different as those of Europe and India meet, mix and thrive? Today's guest is Kaveri Sinji, founder of Culture Rings. Kaveri founded Culture Rings earlier called Bluefoot 10 years ago, It applies knowledge of Indian history in combination with psychology and social anthropology to conduct workshops and awareness sessions, especially for foreign companies or individuals trying to do business in India. It also conducts cultural immersions for Indians who are working for foreign companies to understand their pan company's culture better, as well as personalized tours, which take participants off the beaten track and beneath the skin of any place welcome kaveri
1: thank you david
0: and and i can attest to the fact that those tours are just fantastic i had the pleasure and the privilege of uh being on one when i met you five years ago in bangalore and it was astonishing maybe we can start even with that Uh, you um, changed the name of of, of your company uh, is now Culture Rings. Uh, tell me, tell me uh, what uh, what made you choose uh, that uh, that name, which is uh, very evocative.
1: So, uh, Bluefoot was when I first created Bluefoot. I remember I didn't put too much thought into it. Um, It was a catchy name that one of my friends had suggested because the accountant who was registering the company was on the phone saying, I need three names now to get permission. And India is all about permissions, right? So he was in the office where you register the company. And so she was flipping through a book and she found Bluefoot. But I realized that I was not attached to the name. And it also didn't indicate well enough the dedication that our company was going to have for the years to come on culture. Uh, so um, a few years ago, I just thought that I need a whole rebranding exercise, uh, which encompasses not just some bird sitting in South America with blue feet, but it should actually bring out the the meaning of the work that we do, which is we bring cultures together. We make them go around. So there's a sort of um, Olympic connotation to the rings or the uh, you know, the, there's a game with the ring on it. So, uh, kind of playing around that. So, yeah, just toyed with it.
0: <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, and, and and certainly, as I said, it is a very uh, evocative name. um When uh, I was uh, uh, in India for for the first time, and and for the moment, for the only time, I remember that. I, I remember. I <laughs> I I I started in New Delhi. Uh, then uh, went to Goa for a few days, invited by a friend and uh, in, in in new delhi i I gave a lecture at the IIT Delhi uh, about artificial intelligence and and all those themes and then uh, in Bangalore i I was speaking at a conference and almost as a as a happenstance during the the last day or one of the last days. Uh, someone at the conference said, "Hey, tomorrow morning we are doing this tour. Do you want to come?" And and normally, I never go on tours because I never take organized um, organized uh, um, vacations. Uh, you know, never go to resorts. And I always feel that uh, in order to get the local um, flavor and and the, and the local culture, it is better to mingle. And to avoid uh, the beaten path but then mm-hmm. i understood that exactly uh, what uh, was was being organized was was just like that and i want to share uh, the photos that uh, that uh, we took uh, during that uh, tour and maybe we can comment on them both uh, specifically as well as taking them as the uh, opportunity to start commenting on on the themes that we want to to touch upon today sure. so um, uh for 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 me it was very interesting that uh, the various stops of the tour never uh, basically included um, these uh, tourist stops right uh, the, the first one we started was uh, was a cemetery and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and tell us a little bit you know just a few uh, sentences about uh, about the cemetery, uh, and 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 uh, what it uh, what it represents uh, and, and, and why did you bring us there?
1: Uh, so to be honest uh, David there are many factors go that go into the planning uh, but to back up a little I started my career in it but not as a technology person I was a technical writer and then I got into marketing and communication. Um, this is in the mid 90s so 1997 is when I actually picked up my first job. Um, It was with Siemens, which is a German company. And at that time, India was just liberalizing, you know, so we had just opened our doors to foreign investment because we were so broke as an economy that it was the only way for us to survive and, you know, see another day. Um, So foreign companies were now, after many years of independence, they were now allowed to come in. And Siemens, of course, came in and took a large captive center here in Bangalore, and I was among the this 12-member team in Siemens Healthcare. We also had a couple of interns coming in, um, two Germans, in fact, uh, Marcus and Benjamin. And I remember every Monday morning, I would notice that they were upset. Their ears were red, Germans. So unlike us Indians with brown skin, you can't see the emotion on our skin, but with the Germans, you could. So... Um, I was there and uh, looking at them and understanding that it was really disappointing for them to expect a weekend to be constructive, to be able to see the culture outside of the office, to be able to shop. Anything that they wanted to do, they were misguided or they had, India is so complex that you couldn't just understand it on your own and nor could you trust someone who's like a taxi driver or a stereotypical tour guide. So that's actually when um, I was first inspired to create a company like this one um, so that you had time well spent. You know what I mean? So um, your extra time outside of all your conferences, if you had three hours, those three hours needed to be spent fruitfully. And that's what the tour that we designed for you was. The second factor, apart from this ambition, was the fact that... um, Bangalore, you know, the last thing you want to do, even less now than when you were here, is to drive around in circles. So very close to your hotel where you were staying is the Black Magic Temple in the heart of the Hindu cemetery. And what I had suggested, let's go geographically, not logically, because you normally don't start a tour with the cemetery, right? And that's how we ended up at the cemetery.
0: And and, uh, and uh, there were a couple of uh, things that were quite astonishing for mm-hmm. for a Western um, uh, you know point of view. One is that people were sleeping there, uh, homeless mm-hmm. people uh, who would spend uh, the night uh, just on on the marble slabs. And and the other uh, is uh, uh, something we didn't see, but you told us. I don't remember which exactly religion that would. Um, uh, uh would um cover the dead but leave the head out for some time and then exactly. when the spirit would uh uh finished t- leaving the body that is when uh, the, uh, the 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 head would be buried as well so if there's
1: any head left <laughs>
0: yeah that's right <laughs> that's right so so you probably made sure we wouldn't see any of those but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently,
1: it it apparently
0: they were there and then and then we saw the the uh, the, uh, the 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 temple uh with uh, with some amazing rituals uh, and uh, and uh, and then we visited uh, um I don't remember what this was actually uh, if this it's was all like, the washing village where
1: they wash clothes for a living. So it's yeah. one of the subcasts well, of the service industry, of the service caste.
0: And 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 you told us how uh, for generations, uh, since maybe the the forties, um, uh, these uh, families would live there, and they would be still washing the the um, the sheets and uh, of the hotels nearby that uh, evidently find it cheaper to give to, to them than, uh, than use uh, washing machines or whatever cleaning services. So, the... um,
1: yeah, um, so this is called the Madiwala class. It's a certain clan um, that has for generations been washing clothes for a living. So from hotels, hospitals or apartment buildings where not every Indian even today has a washing machine, even though it's much more now than it was before like when I was growing up um, we didn't have a washing machine for uh, at least the first six years of my life and then we went to Iraq and we came back with a washing machine because we went shopping in Europe and Kuwait and we were the only ones in the Air Force camp because my father was in the Air Force we were the only ones there who had a washing machine and there were people who actually came to see it and then of course things changed for India but even today Even if you do have a washing machine, it makes more sense, money wise and also effort wise, to just put all your laundry in the corner. And once a week, the washerman comes, picks it up. You have a notebook in which you write how many clothes he took. When he comes back, he counts it and gives it back to you. You pay him for every piece that he washed. And in my entire growing up, I remember there was one time that my father's Air Force uniform, which is just a standard blue. Uh, half-sleeved shirt, uh, got mixed up with some other Air Force officer. And my mother was furious. It was the most irresponsible thing that a, a washerman can do. So she sent him back and said, you're not coming back without my shirt. And he came back an hour later. I don't know how he figured it out. Because you remember, right, in Bangalore, the lines of drying yards um, and the the millions of clothes that they wash every day uh, across all the washing villages. So they have a a way of doing it, but it's
0: it's quite amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, in Italy, the uh, local language term for appliance is electrodomestico, Uh electric made. (laughs) Right? So the domestic workers um, used to be uh, helping middle class families in Italy uh, at the turn of the century, I would say a hundred a hundred and twenty years ago or so and they were called maids domestici Mm -hmm. and then when um, 30 50 70 years later whenever it was appliances started to be installed in in the homes they would be called electric maids and that is still the term that is used today Uh, now uh, how is it going with uh, with uh, the lockdown? Is it still very strict and and then I will I will tell you why I'm mm-hmm. asking the question and why now because it has a relationship with what we were just saying. so how how strict yeah. is the lockdown? How is it going?
1: So uh, we have entered the third phase of the lockdown in India. So we have the first one where we were given uh, forty eight or seventy two hours to do what we need to before we actually lock down. So just to prepare yourself uh, uh, physically, practically. And the first two weeks happened. I think that was from the 14th of March onwards um, for two weeks. Then they announced an extension of the same for two weeks. Um, And then came the third phase, which actually started on the fourth, which is yesterday. Um, The biggest problem that we Indians have had, and the place where we've actually broken the rules like crazy is with the domestico, the maids, because people here can't imagine doing their own laundry. They can't imagine doing their own cooking. And, oh, my God, you can't imagine taking care of your own children.
0: So so that was exactly my question, because uh, um, the, the, the depth of the families that have um, uh, help mm-hmm. Uh, people coming on a daily basis is 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 very broad, right? Uh, there, there's a lot of. It's not just one uh, percent uh, uh, of of the families, and I don't know the numbers. Maybe you don't know the numbers, the percentages, but that was that was exactly the case. And whether it is drivers or 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 cooks or or cleaning people or um, tutors for for the children, so. What you are saying is that uh, the rules were not respected, and 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 the and and the these people would still come to the families.
1: There is so much fighting, so they tried for the first two weeks, and then the apartment building where I live, uh, we found, we noticed that in spite of the lockdown, there are about twenty-five maids coming in, and when the security asked them where they go. They would say that they're going to the home of a senior citizen, somebody old. And then they would not be questioned. And then once they got in, they would work in multiple houses. So even if one of the houses they worked in might have been a senior citizen, that was just a pretext because sometimes there was not even a senior citizen. But people were using that as an excuse and telling the maids, use it like a decoy and just come in. Our security guard had to actually go and knock on somebody's door at nine o'clock in the night and say we know you have a maid you have to let her go it's a lockdown and the lady in the house is begging please just five more minutes she's almost finished with the cooking and it was really hard because it was like taking people were not realizing that the old are the most vulnerable they are the ones who do not have a maid coming from any other area right but no logic applies
0: and and, and and also, from the point of view of uh, of the people who come uh, in the homes to work, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but many of these people have zero savings. Uh, even their rent uh, or food, their own food, is bought day by day with what they earn. So if they don't earn anything, they have no way to bridge over until after the lockdown is lifted And uh, they may go hungry or they could be kicked out of uh, the place they, they sleep, right?
1: Millions of people were not accounted for. When the lockdown was called, there was no arrangement made by the government of India for the repatriation of people from small towns where there are no job opportunities who come into the city to work. Uh, It could be, you know, working on the construction jobs or roads. Uh, Mostly these are called daily wage labor. So they're paid for every day that they work. And there are millions of such people who come to the city because they are assured that even if half of what they were promised happens, it's better than being in the village where there is no job opportunity. But when the lockdown happened, there was no arrangement made to transport these people back. Many of them had to walk four or five thousand and four or five hundred kilometers with holding their little children, babies, in their arms, camping overnight, knocking at doors in towns and through, hoping that somebody will be kind and give them food. No arrangement was made. It was very sad and that was the image that was actually in all the media across. If you saw the news channels about India during the lockdown, that was where the attention came and it was good because now the government has stepped up and compensated them. But it came to a place where people felt that they would die of hunger and not COVID. Hunger would kill them first. So they were not worried about COVID-19. They were worried about where their next meal will come from. And these are people. uh, So, you know, the poverty line of India, uh, David? Can you Uh, guess?
0: No, no, please. Um, I mean, uh, i am I am often looking at uh, sources like uh, uh, Our World in Data, uh, that has wonderful uh, collections uh, from reliable sources uh, of um, uh, information around uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of variables uh, in a, in our world. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure I, I will be looking it up while you are speaking, but uh, please uh, go ahead and then we can comment the data we are seeing.
1: So can you, just without looking it up, can you guess what do you think is the poverty figure? How much do I have to earn to consider myself not in the poverty zone anymore? How much do you think I should earn?
0: Okay. Um,
1: you can say it in euros. Or-
0: yeah, yeah, or dollars, uh, sure. So. Um let me take a wild guess, right? Um mm-hmm. so on a worldwide basis, between 1.5 and 2 dollars a day is considered extreme poverty. Um so that would be 60 dollars a month. So in India in order not to be considered poor, I think it would be 200 dollars a month.
1: Okay, that comes to per day
0: no no oh sorry you want per day i would say yeah. uh between okay in order not to be considered poor um like six seven dollars a month
1: six seven dollars
0: a month and, uh, sorry a day a day, a
1: day. A day. okay a day. so let me tell you the reality the yes. reality is it's 40 cents
0: and 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 you are not considered poor by the government
1: Yeah, so Indian, 32 rupees a day, if you earn, you are not considered poor. Which means you are not taken care of by the government.
0: That's right, that's right. Yeah, those those definitions matter. Those definitions have very, very concrete consequences, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so as a result, like the the nanny who works for my daughter, she has not declared her income. So she doesn't tell anyone how much she earns. Uh, she doesn't she doesn't pay taxes because if she does even though she earns much more than 32 rupees a day uh, so she earns what is considered a pretty decent salary it's not super good which is what the expats pay here but by Indian standards I pay her 15,000 Indian rupees per month which comes to about 500 rupees a day right and that's probably like $10 or maybe less, maybe $8 a day is what I pay her. But even that, if she shows it to the government, she will be considered not poor. And then she cannot get free schooling, healthcare, housing, and um, ration, you know, food, free food. Because you have to show that you earn less than 32 rupees. Only then you get that.
0: And... and. uh are there people who are actually earners to, to to that level? So are people who are who are documenting that they are earning 20 per day rather than 32? Because it sounds so close to zero that it's yeah. difficult to do anything and to be be paid less than that.
1: So when you're earning that little, David, you're not capable of documentation.
0: That's right. No?
1: if you were capable of documentation, you would be doing way more, you know? Mm-hmm. So these are people, like even my uh, nanny, she has studied a little, maybe till eighth grade, um, but she can't She can't read anything. She can't write anything. Uh, she can figure out the alphabet of her local language, which I can't read because it's from a village. So there's so many languages in India as well, right? But it's very interesting how this has kind of, snowballed from 3000 years ago, this sort of discrimination that you can call India and have a conversation with me about things like the poverty line, anthropology and history and politics, but you can call somebody else who might be standing right next to me and get none of this from them because the polarity, the disparity between them and someone like me is so big and no one has made enough of an effort to bridge it. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so um, there are uh, cultural and religious roots to the discrimination and the case system, and, and we want to talk about that too. But, uh, I mean. but uh, uh, the, the, one of the, you know, uh, a, a nation has mm-hmm. some basic duties, yeah. um, health and, and security, and education, yeah. and yeah. one of the best ways to bridge a basic source of discrimination, to stop opportunities to be um, gained by by those who are less privileged, is to give them a solid education. Mm-hmm. And and do you believe that uh, that uh, that India is not able to provide that today still?
1: So it's a tough question, David, because I think, and I think a lot of people like me think, India is more than capable of providing quality education. The amount of money that goes into the pockets of the corrupt can change the country five times over. You know, um, unfortunately, the first cabinet of India, which was headed by a very idealistic man called Jawaharlal Nehru, who went on to become our prime minister. He set the foundation for India's political philosophy, which was called the License Raj, where every person, I mean, every person has the ability to give you permission uh, to do what you want to do. So he can say yes or no. So you want to start a business with steel, you go to the politician, and he will sign the document saying yes or no. And the government's philosophy was for itself to stay poor. But the point was that Nehru himself was a rich man. So he had no greed for money. After him came many politicians who were not as rich as him. And they saw that by their signature, so much wealth is being created in the lives of other people, not themselves. And they started to think, what's in it for me? So the next time someone came to me for a signature, I would figure out that the potential of this is 1 million USD. So, I would ask them under the table for 10% of that. So, this started to happen corruption, monopoly, all of this. And uh, that corruption has actually stagnated India's ability to equalize. You know, uh, whatever support we could have given to the poor, instead, we poured money down the pockets of politicians because we have such a short sighted way of dealing with things. I just want what I need right now. You know, the same money could actually go to, to change the life of a whole village. But no, I'm going to use that money to pay a bribe.
0: India is, is a federal system. Mm-hmm. Um, could a state change and say, okay, I will pay public servants uh, market wages so that the incentive uh, is, is is not there anymore? Um or, or they are prohibited from doing that.
1: No, but they have increased the amount of pay that public servants get. But you can't compare it to the number of zeros behind the corrupt money. You, can't, you cannot match that. Uh, there was a story of a plot of land which somebody wanted to construct an airport on and to get permission to get that contract for the airport and to be given that contract by the government. He went to the minister of a certain state of infrastructure. I couldn't even count the number of zeros. There were about six or seven zeros after the main figure, which was 17. And that was how much money he was going to get paid just for his signature. And this is, I'm talking about a few years ago. This is not a long time ago. So it continues to happen. But I should probably go back a little bit in history because that's one of my pet subjects.
0: Yes please and and let's talk about the caste uh, system which uh, system. supposedly was eliminated uh, many decades yeah. ago but uh, um, it still it survives.
1: Eliminated. Yeah if you ask somebody <laughs> if you ask somebody on the street in India or in your office they will talk proudly about the elimination of the caste system but then you turn around and ask them what caste are they from and they will tell you straight away. Everyone is so aware of it because it is alive and kicking. The caste system has not, it has been abolished since 1948. It's been abolished. In 1952, um, you know, a whole doctrine was written about how um, people of those castes should be rehabilitated to equalize into society. But it's all paper. The reality is very different. But I should go back 3,000 years where, um, you know, the Indus Valley people, the animist civilization that first inhabited the Indian subcontinent. Uh, towards, you've been to Delhi. So a little west of Delhi is where their settlement was. The ruins are still there. And a large part of those ruins are also in Pakistan. Those people were settlers um, of the original type in India. They had, um, they used to be traders and agriculturists. Um, Then there was a flood. And those people were pushed down towards the south side of India. And because of the flood and earthquake, there is also a lot of arrival from Central Asia and Europe. Um, so, India's the way we look, you might have noticed, David, when you meet your Indian friends, and you, I know you have many fans in India. Um, so, you might have noticed how different we all look from each other, right? So, you have the very uh, almost African looking people. You know, and then you also have a, a very aboriginal kind of face, and then you have a very Chinese-looking face. You have people like me who look a little more towards the the um, maybe Middle Eastern. Um, of course, by looking at each other, you can you can gauge where the person might have come from. But there's another thing that you can actually gauge. You can gauge what caste they might be from. You might not always be right, but people spend a lot of energy. caste system as such did not exist but after the flood and after the arrival of people from so many different lands bringing so many different physical um, faculties and mental talents and linear talents uh, there was an idealized human calling for segregation. So they created three categories. One is people with big heads. So if you have a big head it's likely that yeah, that's, that's a great slide you pulled up. So you type Indians and that's what you get. huh?
0: I, I actually typed uh, Indian faces.
1: Amazing. You can see that, I mean, within the first eight images, you can already see the diversity, right? Um, so the original segregation of India was an idealistic calling. You know, it was idealized where, uh, for example, if you have a big head, it's likely that you have a big brain. And if your brain is big, it's likely that you have a lot of knowledge. Well, we've learned much later that it's not necessarily true that a big head means you're smarter. But um, that was how they decided that this person with a big head above a certain uh, circumference would become a Brahmin. A Brahmin is a person of learning and a person who can teach and somebody who... Uh, belongs to the priestly class, you know, people who can perform ceremonies, um, who, who are advisors to kings. The second is people with big strong muscle mass, you know, big bones, big muscle structure, tall people. So those became the protectors, they became the warriors, they were the ones on the front line. And some of them who were very valiant also become leaders, kings, They were advised by the wise Brahmins because they were not necessarily wise themselves, but they were very strong. And like in all societies, including um, Julius Caesar's, your uh, capability as a king was measured by how good a general you can be. So the warriors also became the rulers. Um, The third was the people of business. And those were called the Vaishyas. So they were the suppliers of stuff. So whether it was oil or grain, they kept the, the economy and the people alive. Um, until the 9th century, this was the segregation. There was no untouchability. There were no lower caste people. In fact, very often you would find people fluidly moving from being a teacher to being a warrior or being a businessman, depending on what you were good at. It didn't always depend even on your physical.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I would I would uh, uh, remark that uh, whatever a parent looks like, only is weakly connected to whatever the uh, the descendants mm-hmm. will will look like. So a very rigid classification is not stable. Uh, not only in 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 body type, but also inclinations and talent. So I would expect that kind of uh, freer. Uh, movement between occupations to bubble up, even if the initial thinking is to classify Mm -hmm. everybody once and for all?
1: So everything that starts, you know, such stuff that sticks on, normally has a very beautiful beginning. You know, the idea is something nice that's going to revolutionize the way we live or operate in a good way. And then later, the corruption comes. And I'm not talking about just monetary corruption like we're suffering now, but a system gets corrupted. So, for example, in the ninth century, we started to write things down, you know. So that's when a lot of our epics, which are very famous and beautiful stories that I very often tell children who come on our tours, were documented. Um, but slowly this system, which was horizontal and fluid, started to become vertical. And very soon the people with the big heads, the Brahmins, who now were giving birth to children with small heads, started to feel that I want to protect my kind and I want to make sure that they follow the same path as I did because I'm privileged. So they started to write this down and anonymously, somewhere between 1250 BC and 1000 BC, magically, a book came out called the Manusmriti. So... um, if, uh, if you want to type, it's called Manu Smriti, M-A-N-U-S-M-R-I-T-I. I will send you the links for that. But that book um, documents the way we're supposed to live in India. It was almost the first law book. And later when the British came, they actually used that book to create Hindu law. And in that book came punishments for people who break social harmony. So whether you're a teacher or a warrior or a businessman, if you become a bad person or, you know, you break the law, you have adultery or you rob or you put somebody out of power, you kill someone, you become an outcast. That's when a new caste outside of the caste system was created. You can see Manu there, right? So that's amazing. Please keep that and maybe share this with, your uh, uh, audience today, because this really gives you a lot of answers, not just to the caste system, but the status of women in India. You know, the, the not just caste-based discrimination, sex-based. Why do women put themselves down? Why do we allow men to put us down in India? You know, uh, so that's a whole other discussion. But as far as the castes go, we have um, a very clear directive that... If a person commits a crime, he becomes an outcast. And there's a certain treatment that outcasts deserve. They do not deserve to ever be included back into society. They should not drink water or eat food from the same source as people of belonging to the caste system. This is when there were two types of outcasts that were created. One was the ones who would be in service and the creation of the service industry. So I might have been a teacher, who committed a crime, I stole a book because I really wanted it, and I was an outcast. I might be taken back into the society because my crime was not so grave. I would become an apprentice to a teacher, but I would never become a teacher. So I would be a serviceman. Or if I'm from the business class, and I was working for somebody selling oil, and I accidentally spilled the oil one day, very irresponsible. And for my punishment, he sent me out of the caste. He might take me back, but I would only be an apprentice. I would never be able to inherit the profession again. This is how so I, I,
0: I I have a, I have a thousand questions, but let's start with, with four. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the opportunity for the Brahmin to create this system using the pretext of the sacred book, uh was uh, of course uh, too juicy to resist A- and then the um irredeemability of the punishment for example or the the being cast out um became mm-hmm. inheritable so the descendants yes. would belong to the uh, untouchables for example as well correct
1: Absolutely. So the untouchables had not yet been created. The untouchables come later. This is outcasts. Down from three castes that existed, you create a fourth caste, which became the service industry.
0: Okay. And then
1: in those times, people with special needs, whether it's mental or physical, you know, somebody who's maybe slow or um, somebody who's physically not according to our normal, those people became considered possibly contagious, like in the time of covid 19 right when you think someone might be contagious you don't want them to come and eat in your house touch your stuff drink your water you want them as far away so in those days before the it revolution 2000 2000 years before they obviously created a whole strategy to keep them away but to keep them alive so you had a separate well a separate side of the highway where they would be situated you know So that was the birth of the untouchability. And those people were not allowed to marry anyone from within. No one was allowed to touch them. They were only allowed to do menial jobs that no one else was prepared to do, which is like cleaning the drains. And even today, that continues. It's enormous how many people are, you know, called the Harijans. When I went on a holiday Two years ago to a little village in Gujarat. I woke up at six o'clock in the morning to the chatter of children. When I looked out, all the children were picking up feces of animals and humans uh, from the side of the road. I was staying at the end of the, the village. So I went out to take some photographs and I asked them, why are you children up so early? And why are you picking up so much of you know, cow dung? And so one of them looks at me and says, because I'm a Harijan and she smiled. Harijan is the fancy word given to untouchables by Mahatma Gandhi. Harijan means people of God, people blessed by God. So then after the manusmriti was written, it became, like you said, inherited. So you and and what they said is this way they will perfect their service. Um, Also, what happened was during this time, Uh, craft and art started to become very popular and India started to export a lot of art and craft. So during this time, more and more people were punished and abolished from their caste and put into the craft industry. That's how the, um, the lower caste people grew. Now I have a few pieces of Lego, which I stole from my daughter because I thought that would illustrate how we are divided in India. So um, maybe i start with religion, right? So look at this. This is the Hindus. Okay. That's more than... No, no, no. This is the Hindus. Yes. Somebody took away my Lego. That's the Hindus. That's the Muslims. And these are the Christians. And these are the others, which would include Buddhism, Jainism, Judaism, um, so all of these. So that, that's how religiously we are divided. And the criticism is that Hindus are the ones keeping the caste system alive, even though all the other religions also have versions within themselves of the caste system. So when the caste system was being Uh, questioned by B.R. Ambedkar, the man who actually wrote the fresh new constitution of India, including the people of lower caste to come in and vote and be a part of politics and all of that. When he came in and questioned, he told everyone, you have to leave Hinduism to escape from the caste system. Even the British, when they came, they said, if you want to escape, you convert to Christianity. Um, But of course, it's so deep that you actually carry your caste with you. Even today, when I open the newspaper and look, um, there is a section called the matrimonial advertisements where um, I can advertise that I'm available to marry, but I have to choose where I should put my name. It's not enough to just say that I'm a Hindu or a Christian. I also have to say that I'm a Kshatriya, which is the warrior. In Kshatriya, there are another bunch of castes so which one exactly am i That 3000 subcasts
0: and and, and I it is so not I have it is not prohibited for uh, the the papers to advertise based on that
1: no absolutely not
0: because so because uh, uh, what you would think is that once mm-hmm. you abolish uh, the case system you also put in place the mechanisms by which it would not be Perpetuated, and mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know, just like um, it, it is prohibited, for example, in America to uh, put a, a job offer and advertise for a job offer and say only whites can apply. Yeah, actually, it is prohibited even to advertise only male or female can apply, or there are many, or only people under forty can apply. Right. All of these uh, are prohibited, uh, even in the land of the free, you know, where everything is free, because uh, the society decided that it was better to curb the freedom to discriminate Mm -hmm. so that discrimination could be lowered than not allowing discrimination to flourish. And, yep. and and uh, the, the newspapers are perpetuating the case system by being permitted to accept mm-hmm. advertising for for uh, searching um, um, life partners for wedding that is ex- exactly based on the case system, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it would be one way. I mean, it would be a really good way. But I don't think the societies would permit it. They would come up with ways for it to continue to, uh, to live outside of the newspaper like there are websites like shadi.com, oh,
0: let, let me let me let me confirm that for sure I wouldn't be coming up with the perfect solution uh, on our humble conversation here for a three thousand year old uh, uh, issue in India however what you just said is of uh, the perfect excuse for doing nothing
1: absolutely I agree absolutely and that's probably the excuse being used by our government you know if I can throw it at you they can also throw it at everyone so that's what they do but I mean no, if no, you-
0: is, it, is it true like like I I, I read and just googled that uh, an untouchable from the dalit ca- case became president in India
1: yes he did so there is a false instances of that you know um, and in the government sector, as well as private practices. I was having a conversation with my cousin, Man, just before he called, and I was telling him about our show. And he was saying that, you know, um, Jija, which is elder sister, don't forget to mention to David that even though the representation among leadership in the world of, say, the top 100 companies, private companies in India, the lower caste people don't have much representation there. They have plenty of representation in the government. They like government jobs because they come from a service background. They're most, considered, most comfortable in service. And very few of them actually rise out to shine, at least right now in India, in the world of technology and innovation. So I actually was looking at Forbes magazine where uh, there's a very interesting article. I've sent you the link as well. Uh, where they studied the top 100 private companies in India, which were a mix of technology and uh, pharmaceutical and all of that. Another piece of Lego. So that is the upper caste people, people of upper caste in the leadership versus 4%, which are from the lower caste. But if you look at the breakup, we are 28% lower caste people. So it doesn't make sense to have only 4% of those, of our leaders, to be represented. Well,
0: uh, uh, actually, it would make sense to be 0% lower caste because they shouldn't be allowed. So 4% is wonderful.
1: It is. But I think a part of the problem is also the education system. You know, when the British came in, They counted how many schools we have running and they sent back a report to the Queen of England saying there's hardly any school in India. But the way they counted the schools being taught English or not, Mm -hmm. it could be a 500 people class school being taught with specialists in all the sciences and arts, but being taught in a local language that does not count as a school. But if you have five students and somebody is teaching you two subjects in English, that's a school. So their disregard for the Indian languages and the measuring of people's worth, academic and professional worth, by the presence of English in their instinctive response language, that became uh, the measure also today of employability. So I might go well,
0: to a should, should India... Uh abandon English and embrace Hindi, that wouldn't solve the problem either, because there are Mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of people who don't speak Hindi either.
1: Absolutely, but look at Spain and look at France. I mean, how many people in Spain are unsuccessful because they don't speak English? In India, it's an employability thing, right? So, if I want to go and get a job in an IT company, it's impossible For me to do it if I don't speak English. And most of the schools, which are free, to which people of the lower castes are being sent, do not teach English. So, how do they become employable?
0: Oh, 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 sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, is English a national language in India? Uh, It's not a national language.
1: We were, Hindi was nominated as the national language, but it was rejected. Hindi. Um, it was rejected by the people so we don't actually have a national language
0: well uh, according to official language hmm okay uh, well let's let's not get lost into the, those details but, but, but it's interesting so you said that uh, that uh, there are plenty of schools that do not teach in english yeah and also. and then they, they can they can uh, teach in 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 hindi or in one of the Local languages that that are spoken by tens of millions of people, and uh, Maharashtra or or whatever else. Um, okay, that is that is obviously another source of 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 um, of Fair. social social uh, inequality that is generated uh, mm-hmm. over and over across uh, across uh, generations. We. We definitely will have to come back uh, uh, for maybe not one but more episodes if you are available uh, because we have so many things and, and I'm so curious. Uh, when when I came uh, to, to India or before coming to India and um, talking about the, the, the various trips because I, I used to travel. I don't know when I will start traveling again or if ever, but I used to travel a lot. And I traveled in, in many, many places, and India was one of the places that I, I for whatever reason, didn't have the, the chance of traveling to. And and uh, I remember I would always say, "Yeah, one of the reasons I'm not going to India is because I don't know if I would come back." I, I oh. felt, and I and I still absolutely feel that India is a place where I I could just get completely. Lost, you know. Let myself be absorbed by the place, completely losing my identity and and becoming whatever. And and uh, and uh, and maybe I will do that uh, in in some number of years. I don't know, but um, but, but
1: uh, I mean, apart from corporate and government, there's just one thought I want to leave you with. Uh, There's also discrimination that happens in our everyday lives, you know, there was a survey also done about how many people will actually be comfortable with somebody of a lower caste touching things in their kitchen, like plates. And and it's almost alarming that something like 52% people of upper caste are not comfortable with someone with a lower caste coming in. And the same thing happened in IT, where a company that I consult for, cross culture consulting, somebody got promoted and two people resigned because they couldn't imagine reporting to someone from a lower caste. Wow. And I'm talking about happening now. So you know, these are just two stories and I have hundreds of such stories. I'm very happy to interact with your viewers or have another episode to share more because I think we only touched the surface today
0: absolutely and and uh, i will just flash uh, uh, a couple of things uh, on the screen to 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 provoke uh without even leaving you the opportunity to respond so that uh, both of us remain um thirsty and and eager to cover uh the the issue next time Uh, one of them uh, or actually three um uh, one of them is that uh, the the issue of uh, the role uh, of of women in society and this is a photo that i took in bangalore that says she's a child just a young girl don't rob her innocence it's a it's a campaign by the bangalore city police and and, and the fact that uh, that this campaign is needed is already um, a, 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 a sign, right? Another um, is how uh, in the Times of India, there is an article saying that uh, measuring the what, how many kilowatts are deployed in Indian agriculture, uh, the share of machines versus humans is 90%. So, uh, if we measure automation of a given sector, not in terms of of number of robots versus number of people, but actually how much energy is uh, from one side or the other, Um, Indian agriculture, and and probably every other place in the world as well, is is almost completely machine-based already. And then the last provocation is how um, the predominance of the Hindu religion is now being exploited politically uh, and uh, and what does this mean both from both for minorities, as well as for the the, the social harmony that uh, a, a society as rich and as composite as, as India, needs uh, regardless of the short-term political gains that, uh, that could be achieved uh, by pushing uh, populism and pushing uh, nationalism. So as I said, these are important and, and, and rather deep subjects and, and just starting points for us to, to meet again uh, and, uh, and, and talk about them. Uh, this has been uh, wonderful, having you on uh, Searching for the Question live, uh, Kaveri. And, uh, and, and thank you very much for sharing your, your knowledge and your empathy and your uh, ability to communicate across cultures uh, uh, today. It was wonderful yeah, to have you.
1: Thank you very much. Namaste. And um, questions are welcome. I can answer them offline.
0: Okay, thank you. So thanks for joining us uh, today at uh, Searching for the Question live. Uh, if you uh, speak Italian, I invite you to join and subscribe also my Italian language YouTube channel on davidorban.com slash YouTube Italiano. Uh, and uh, I want also to thank our supporters on Patreon, who helped me and my team produce uh, this kind of uh, content. If you want to become a a, a supporter, uh, please go to patreon.com slash David Orban. See you at the next episode of Searching for the Question live.